Once my heart and soul were fettered by the binding chains of sin, but the great emancipator, he said, happy that he's an emancipator that's someone that sets you free that's someone that can go and wherever you're at he can find that freedom for you amen amen how many is happy to be in church tonight amen we've been enjoying services lately around perfect faith a couple uh, last on sunday night on perfect love if you could say it that way and and maybe god had been already working on a certain path with me now and and so maybe we'll almost speak perfect faith faith part 10 or perfect love part two or something but maybe we can, uh, we'll just begin to go to the Lord in prayer. And how many has a need that they'd have on their heart tonight? There's so many needs among us. And we, we pray for many things. We pray for Israel, God's people. We, we pray for the bride around the world. We remember Brother Ron Spencer still fighting a battle. We've got local needs, church needs, family needs, personal needs. And we can go to him in prayer. Lord Jesus. Lord, you're the great emancipator. You're the one that sets us free, oh God. You're the one that can take any situation, Lord, from afar, from near, and you can make a difference, oh God. You can set completely free. Lord, we look to you, oh God, and 
I just pray you'd come now and take the, the, the songs that have been sung, Lord. So we're casting our cares on you. And Lord, we, we take all the songs that have been sung, Lord, the, the announcements, even the testimony, Lord, that we've been praying for, for that little girl that had been in the accident. Oh, God, thank you for what you've done. Truly, you're a deliverer and a healer, Lord. Lord, you're the one that makes your mighty hand known. Lord, we come now to you. And humbly, Lord, Lord, I, I was listening to perfect faith and or, or reading the quote maybe first but how he would begin the message perfect faith and he would say faith is based on forgiveness oh lord i just pray now we'd come lord if there's any part that we've been holding back lord that we hold against anyone or any part that we've done wrong lord they probably didn't mean to do it or even if they did lord as nails were in your hands lord you said father forgive them lord i pray we could lay it all down lord that our faith would be in the right channel, our love would be in the right channel, and that you could move tonight, Lord Jesus, in whatever way you'd want to move. I pray, take the speaker, take the hearer, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, that's all the singing we'll do. If we could maybe open our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 59. There's some beautiful scriptures in Isaiah 60, arise, shine, your light is come, or Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, he hath anointed me to preach. But this is just one chapter before, and it's another beautiful chapter, and it says, starting at verse one, behold, the, ha the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue hath muttered perverseness. None calleth for justice, nor any pleadeth for truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. They hatch cockatrice eggs and weave the spider's web. He that eateth of their eggs dieth, and they which crusheth, crushed which is crushed, breaketh out into a viper. Their, leb, their webs be, shall not become garments, neither shall they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and the act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil. They maketh haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. My, what a scripture. The way of peace they know not, and there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know them. Verse 10, we grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as in the night. We are in desolate places as dead men. And what, a, what a picture it's painting. If we drop down to, to verse 15, the picture slowly begins to turn it, but at first it says, yea, truth faileth. And he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. The Lord saw it. And it displeased him that there was no judgment. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. 
According to their deeds, accordingly, he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, the islands he will repay recompense. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him and the redeemer shall come to Zion and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord, as for me, and this is beautiful, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord. My spirit is upon thee, and my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth. And the promise continues. Nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed seed, saith the Lord, from henceforth and forever. God bless you. You can have your seats. If I can take a, a title tonight, Freedom by Love's Desire. Freedom by love's desire. That's the, the thing behind it that'll push it. Maybe we can just start in that channel of faith that we've been in for, 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 for some time now on perfect faith. By God's grace tonight, I want to look at the thought that we can believe for ourselves. We can believe for our own needs. We can believe for our own freedom. But I also want to look, can we believe for someone else's need? Can we hold faith in proxy for someone else? We'll get there, but faith is defined to have complete trust or confidence in something or someone. To have complete faith or complete trust or confidence in something or someone. Brother Branham, message perfect faith. Now here's where many people, and we'll go to the negative maybe right to start, but here's where many people fail to receive their healing or for what they're asking for because they take faith to be something that it's not. They don't believe it. And then he says, it's not imagination, it's a substance. It's actual substance. Now listen close, it's not what you imagine. It's just as real to you as any sense of your body will declare anything else. And we've heard this just, I think, last Wednesday. It's just as real as my eyes say, this is a piece of paper. I might get to that part about the car. And it's, just, it's a piece of paper. It's just as real to say, that is light. It's just as real to say, I feel my coat. It's just as real as I hear that baby talking there, or, or, or it's making noise, or, or see that reel, the music playing. It's just as real as I taste anything in my mouth. Did you brush your teeth before coming to church? Can you feel the difference one way or another? It's just as real as that. It's just as real as I taste anything in my mouth. It's just that real, only you can't show it to somebody else. You can't show your experience of that hearing to someone, someone else. The way you see color, even from person to person, people have different level, le, levels of color blindness or different strengths or different smells. It's just as real, but you can't show your experience to someone else, your faith, but it's real to you. The way you see color, the way you smell, the way you taste, the way you feel, the way you hear, it's just as real. You have it alone. It's yours. Faith is the substance, the sixth sense. That's something not just a myth. Now, these are real deep lessons, and I'll catch the top of it, then you dig down in it, he says. Notice, it's something that you possess, not imagination, if you really have it. It's just as real to you as any other thing that could be. You know that you're riding in your automobile. You know you're sitting in the church. It's just as real as you hear my voice. It's a substance, not an imagination, not an emotion, but something that you have, and it comes to you by hearing 
the word of God. Now, faith is a revelation, and we do know that when revelation comes, there's a stimulation that comes with it. But it's something beyond the stimulation. It's a substance on the inside. Faith, and this is beautiful, comes by hearing. I was thinking about it, and often we, 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 we maybe this is just strange, but when you preach a service, the service is still in your mind after the, for a while. And you walk out into the foyer, and it feels like, did anyone hear it? Because everyone talks about everything else. And it's okay, but it's just what you go through because you were just in it, you're dwelling in it, you deliver it, and you wonder, how did it go? Or how did, uh, but I realized something. When we eat a meal, most of the time, unless it was phenomenal, we don't spend a lot of time talking about the meal after. What I ate, what this, what that. But it did something. We listen to tapes. Sometimes we wonder, did I get anything out of it? We pray, did I get anything out of it? It's doing something. You eat, we hardly remember what we ate for lunch. We hardly remember what was preached on Wednesday. We all do, but it did something. It fed something. Faith comes by hearing, and faith can be unconscious. It's something you eat and you become it. In food and in reality, in everything that we do, as we're listening, as we're growing, as we're feeding, it's doing something. Sometimes it's unconscious. Sometimes we hardly know it. But in the right moment, in the right situation, that word that we've been feeding on comes out. The Spirit brings it back to our remembrance. So is it doing something? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Did our meals do something for years and years and years? Oh, yes. Whether we remember them or not even, it did something. But it comes back to you by hearing the word. That faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. That puts it back to where your faith then, not in some individual. It's not in man. It's not an organization. It's not in a group of people. It's in God because God is the word. Faith is the substance. It's not an imagination. Now, we must have faith in something. And that something is the word of God. But we must base our faith Everything that we believe has to be based on the promises that are placed in the Bible. There has to be a principle or a promise or something that's been given to us for us to go and claim to say that I can take this, this is mine. There's a lot of opinions. There's a lot of things you might like. There's a lot of truths that people might hold. You might have your favorite hockey team or your favorite this or your least favorite that. But the only thing that we can truly have faith or substance in are promises found in the Bible of God. That's the only place that's an absolute where your opinion actually matters because it's not an opinion, it's faith in the word of God. It's the only place that we can take and anchor our faith. We've been given precious promises. In Exodus 15, 26, it says, And if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and do that which is right and wilt give ear to his commandments, And keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. That's a promise. In John 8, 36, it says, If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. That's a promise we can anchor in. In Romans 8, 11, it says, But if that Spirit that raised up Christ Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. The promises that we can anchor in for healing, for for deliverance, and for a resurrection, even in our mortal bodies, it comes to take over our mortal flesh even now. 
Brandon would say, now we see at the first, talking about the disciples, the disciples didn't have this, what he would call a perfect faith. I think it's important, we've talked about what the word perfect even means, maturity or completeness, not perfection, not sinless perfection. So what is perfect faith or perfect love? A mature, complete love. Not sinless perfection, but a complete, mature love. You say, could you say something wrong when you have perfect love? I believe Brother Branham was operating in a realm with, as a mature love. And yet he would even say, in a moment, he might say, you know, I could have taken that man's doctrine and spun him in knots. And then, you know, a minute later, he'd say, you know what? That didn't quite feel right. And that perfect love that he was walking in would come and he said something, but it would come and bring him back around and constrain him to say, that wasn't quite right. So could you say wrong? Yes, you could. It's not sinless perfection, but it's mature. I can make it right. I can, I can try to stay as close as I can to the right. Now we see that the disciples didn't have this perfect faith. They didn't have it because they had Christ walking with him. But then afterwards, Christ was in them. It's hard to have this perfect faith without the Holy Spirit. It has to bring it. It does. Now you say the disciples didn't have perfect faith? No. He says they had an epileptic child there. They were trying to cast the devil out of him, and they couldn't do it. But the father seen Jesus coming, and they said, we've brought my son to your disciples. They could not cure him. Afterward, the disciples asked, why couldn't we cure him? And Jesus said, because of the lack of faith, of your unbelief, because of your unbelief. Remember, Brother Branham says, they had the power Jesus had given them power to heal the sick. And I'll say, we have power to create worlds and live on it. To raise the dead, they had been given power to cast out devils just a few days before that. They had the power, but not the faith to use it. Now there's, and now he says, now there's the Branham Tabernacle. There's the church. There's the bride today. And let me say, I hope we're not too far away from being able to say, that's not us anymore but we have that perfect faith. The Holy Spirit is here with the power, but you haven't got the faith to move it. It takes faith to move it. And he begins to talk about a, a loaded gun. We'll drop down. What is the, what, what, what's the power? What's the, what's, the, what's the law that governs the power? Our faith in God's word. Whatever promise we have, we have the power to go claim it. We can even say this, all things are possible to them that God unlocks and reveals and allows you to believe. Joshua stopped the sun. It was something that he had. Now he would say this in his opening parts of the service, Perfect Faith. He would read the scripture, I believe, from Mark 11. Jesus answering and said unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever things you desire. And we're talking freedom by love's desire. Whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and ye shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive. For if any have aught against any that your father that your father also, that your father which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. If you do not forgive, neither will your father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. And he says his first opening lines after reading the opening text, now faith is based on forgiveness. He would say in different places, 
the faith that we need. And then he would say, now, if you have condemnation in your heart, we have to get it out of the way. If there's something we've done wrong, we have to confess it. Maybe it's to a brother. Maybe it's to God. We have to clear the channel out. And in order for us to even get forgiveness for ourselves, we have to forgive others. We have to let go of others. They probably didn't mean to do it. And even if they did, you think of the greatest crucifixion that was had with the Son of God crucified by the people that he knew in church. Crucified by the religious people of the day. And all he said was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He was clear. And he had forgiven them. Faith is based on forgiveness. And then as we said this morning, trying to get the church into the place where we could really see apostolic times moving among us, that's what we all hunger. And it's laying right at the door. He says we see it, but we want to see more of it. So we must let things go. We must have a clear channel between us, God, our brother, our sister. There's a place where we let it go and we let God. And it takes God sometimes to bring that level of forgiveness, that level of repentance, whatever we would need. But God's promised it and God can deliver it. Brother Branham, now you must believe what you ask for. If you are a believer, recognize yourself as a believer. Recognize that these things are for you. And then he says, if there's condemnation in your life, straighten that out first. If you've got condemnation, you might have had Oral Roberts and a dozen more people who has faith come here and pray over you and jump up and down and pour oil on you by the gallons. It won't move. There's something to clear it out. There's a place that we need to get that out of the way first. Oh, God. May God help us. Day by day, all the pressures of life, the buildup of things can come. Different things can happen. People say this, this happens, that happens. But oh God, help us to come to a place where we rise above those things like an eagle. Fly a little higher and realize, you know what? It just doesn't matter. When that day comes that we cross that portal to the other side, all of the earthly things that went on here just won't matter at all. There's another land somewhere where our brothers will be perfect, our sisters will be perfect, and we'll be perfect too. We'll be perfect too. I think of a a thought that I've had that sometimes, you know, we say that we're always either going into a trial, in a trial, or just coming out of a trial, and sometimes we're someone else's trial. But God, keep us from that. God, keep us from that. Brother Branham, and so when a man lives by faith and walks by faith, I mean substance faith, Changing gears, he's isolated from the entire world and becomes a new creature in Christ. Now you're getting into bride material. Now you're getting into rapturing condition. We have a right to claim every single promise of God that God would quicken us to our hearts. There's something about it. God has to come. We can't just in a mental workup go after a promise of God. We can start, we can aim for it, we can have a desire for it, but then it takes God to quicken it by faith. It takes God to open it up and say, that's for you. That's the part of the word I want you to fulfill. But it does have to start somewhere. And it starts with a desire. In order to reach out and get the promises of God, it has to begin somewhere. A need has to be somewhere. A desire has to be somewhere. A place of beginning has to come from somewhere. 
The word desire means a strong feeling of wanting to have something or wishing for something to happen. Pretty simple. And I'll say we have so many needs, so many desires if we begin to really look at them. And I think one thing is to really begin to filter out our many desires for a new car or a new this or that and begin to look at what are the true important desires for my earthly journey. Hattie Wright may have had many desires, but she had one great desire. Different ones. That Aunt Jemima woman maybe had many desires, but she had one great desire. And we have to look beyond our life, all the things of life, all the pileup of the bills and everything else, and see what really matters and begin to focus in on those desires. Those are the desires that God cares about, and he cares about the little and the big. But what's the, what's the real desire that we have? A desire. Strongly wish for or want something. An example, he desired the status that he so, or he achieved the status that he so desired. Desire, synonyms, craving, longing, yearning. They suggest feelings that impel one to the attainment or or possession of something. Desire is a strong feeling, worthy or unworthy. We can have worthy or unworthy desires, and we can we can be worthy or unworthy of the desire that we have. Something that, that impels to the attainment of possession of something that is in reality or imagination within reach. A desire for success. Craving implies a a deep and imperative wish for something based on a sense of need and hunger. A craving for food, companionship. A a longing is an intense wish, generally repeated or enduring. Something that, that is at the moment beyond reach, but may be attainable at some future time. Yearning suggests persistent, uneasy, and sometimes wistful or tender longing. A yearning for one's native land. Desire to feel, uh, from a root word, to feel the lack of or need for something. Desire can even mean lust or desire for the wrong thing. A desire for something that is not yours. Other words for desire, covet, fancy, solicit, aspiration, hunger, appetite, thirst. How many has heard that message before? That message of of all of us are put with a desire in our hearts for God. A a spot in our heart that only God can fill. A place that only God can satisfy. And yet sometimes we try to fill it with everything else but. The Brandon would say, by your desire, you can tell who is on the throne of your heart. By what you love, love's desire. By what you love, that's what tells you. You say, well, I I think them things are all right, Brother Branham. Well, just remember now, in your heart, you know what's there. What's feeding your soul by what your soul is thirsting for. You can see it it, satisfies it. If it isn't this word, there's something wrong. Because the Holy Spirit lives on the word only. Now, there's a great danger of living between two desires. Living between a desire for God and a desire for the world, or desire for a little bit of success, and uh, Brother Bradham would say the great temptation for men and for ministers would be money, women, and popularity. Uh, living between two desires, maybe you have a little bit of pride, or a little bit of this, or a little bit of that, that living between the two. Jesus Christ is our one desire, our only desire, the only one that's worthy. I want to begin to look at this theme, though. 
love's desire, the desire from love, based on the love of God, that desire, when projected, will attain a promise of God. It will lead to freedom. It will lead to the opening up of the promises. How do we know that? Brother Branham, the message desperations. Now the word plainly states, if you want to put this down in Galatians 5, 6, that faith worketh by love. So we have faith, we have to project faith, we have to have faith, but there's an inner something that's pointing our faith that is the thing that sends it forward. This is how it works. It's by love. Faith worketh by love, and the only way that you can have faith is have love first. How do we know? The stature of a perfect man, the foundation is faith, but you don't start that journey until you're born again. Until the love of God, that Holy Ghost, begins and quickens and starts the journey. How do you have faith and how do you begin the journey that's capped off by love too? Yes, it's by having that love of God spark in your heart, that born-again experience. The only way you can have faith is have love first. Because after all, faith is love is incentive. Incentive, that's what, exactly what faith is. It's an incentive to love. Now, if you don't have love, you can't have faith. How does that work? Well, you, you say, I, I, have a, I have faith for my healing. Well, there, whether you realize it or not, because sometimes it's so unconscious, it's based in a love for God, that you're willing to trust him and believe his word. It starts with a spark of something on the inside that's driving it forward. He says, how can you have faith in your wife if you don't love her? That's in philia. How about in agapo to God? How can it be if you don't love God? If you, said you loved, if you said you loved your wife and never tell her about it, never sat down and make love to her, expressed it to her, kiss her, hug her, tell her she's the best cook in the country, all the things that you know, how pretty she is, how much you love her, if you don't do that, she'll never know. That's the way. If you do love her, you express it. That's the way we do to God. When we love him, we tell him about it. We sit down and we adore him and worship him. And love drives us to that. Now what if something has to be done for your wife? What if there's a need? Why, it would drive you into desperation to get it done. What if someone says your wife's got cancer or your wife's got TB or she's fixing to die? You'll do anything. It will throw you into desperation. Love. Love's desire will set it into action. And that's the same thing that it is. We must have love before we can have faith. When we have genuine love, what does it do? It pushes our faith out on the battlefront for God. See, God, genuine godly love for God and his word and for his people will push faith out there. Love just takes a hold of faith and says, come on, let's go. And it goes out because that's what love does. Love all the overwhelming Precious love of God, it reaches to the highest mountain and stretches all the way across any divide that can be. What was Christ's faith? To, that, what was Christ's faith based on when he died on a cross? That what he did would be the perfect sacrifice. John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, how can we believe on him? Well, I love him because he first loved me. 
and purchased my redemption on Calvary's tree. It was love that drew him from heaven's heights all the way down to the earth. And he set out in faith knowing who he was and, and what his purpose was. And he set out to accomplish it. And he brought freedom to each one of us, our Redeemer. What brought it? It was love that drove it forward and, and faith that carried it out. And the results and evidence came back. And it was right and it was real and we have it. Now this is a, an amazing quote I just heard in a service that was shared with me. Satan can copy any kind of a gift, any kind of a manifestation, but he can't love. God is love. Satan can't love. And now the brother brought it out, and he, he brought it out strong, and it was a very good service, Brother Donnie Reagan. If we ever say, so if you ever say, I could never love that person, where does that come from? Very far from the throne of God. Because the only person that cannot love is the devil. So I'll quote Brother Tim Ashong, if, if you can't love him as your brother, love him as your neighbor. And if you can't love him as your neighbor, love him as your enemy. But there's no place for saying, I can't love that person. Oh, it reaches all far beyond. The only one that can't love. Satan doesn't love us. He only wants to destroy. But God is all powerful, all loving, all infinite. He's the one. Today, we get a wrong conception of power. Power is overcoming, returning good for evil. That's real power. Not the, the CEO of the company that gets a hot under his collar and fires this person and does that and gets all upset and because someone disrespected him. Real power is returning good for evil. That can love your enemy. Do good to those that do evil to you. That's real power. He says that's God power. Why? It's based in love. It's based in an incentive of love. Maniacs can break chains, but it takes a real man to return good for evil. From his heart, not because of a religious duty, but from his heart. Oh God, make me like that. Make me like that where we'd fly a little higher and go a little farther. Brother Branham was given the privilege of going beyond the curtain of time. And it was a place beyond perfection. Sublime wouldn't touch it. Perfect wouldn't touch it. Perfection, it was just beyond. Brother Brandon would say, this is what you, or the, the angel would tell him, this is what you preach the Holy Ghost is. This is perfect love. And he would talk about it, and then, and then he would say, he would say, whatever you do, friend, lay aside everything till you get perfect love. Get to a spot you can love everybody, every enemy, everything else. The one, that one visit there, to me, has made me a different man. I can never, never, never be the same Brother Branham that I was. Oh, if we could, we, we can, you know what? It's good to imagine it sometimes and get a picture of what it is and what it must be like to have no wrong feeling, to have no wrong thought, to have no nothing but a perfect love, perfect atmosphere, a perfect place. Lay aside everything. 
May God lead us. I believe as a, as a message, as a bride, God's had to lead us through faith and brotherly kindness and charity uh, and, and all the different levels of the stature of a perfect man, godliness, all the different ones. I could name them off, but, but there's a time now where the capstone's coming down. We're honing down. Let's receive it. It's amazing to me, I, the, the services that in different places, not just here that have been on perfect faith. Or I was just listening to a thing, Brother Donnie from maybe just recently. He was, on perf- he was talking about love. Just the same themes everywhere. God's calling us higher. God's calling us to say, I want you to live in a place of complete maturity. Take that message, hear ye him, and begin to listen to it. It's a place that would be of adoption and placing where we can come where what we say it counts for something. It's not just because it counts for something. It's because we have thus saith the Lord or we keep still. And God trusts us and allows us to have that. Now our freedom, we have many issues, many struggles, many trials. Sometimes we fight with sin in our life. Sometimes we, we're, we fight with a sickness or a situation or a struggle or our own humanity that gets the better of us time after time after time. There's one way for freedom, and it's that simple song, falling in love with Jesus. As we begin to fall in love with him, farther and farther and in greater intensity of love, it raises our faith. It raises our faith to trust him more and know that he's more than able. It it creates such a desire, like, like with a husband and a wife, you wouldn't want to do anything wrong against them. Because you love them so much, it does something that it raises out and, and, and sets you free of anything that would be against the word of God. Think of Jacob in the Bible, and he was a shyster. That's what his name meant. He was a deceiver, and he had made a mess of things. Jacob had a desire for the birthright. But in that process with his humanity, he had messed up a couple things, and he had upset Esau to the place that Esau set out to kill him. He was smart, but perhaps not wise. And he certainly wasn't pure all the time. Jacob cheated his father-in-law out of livestock. He eventually deals with Laban as he's leaving, and and, and he's on his way home, and he realizes that Esau is there with 400 men, and he's ready to kill him. And what had happened was he had set out, he had had the birthright, he had been walking with God, but he still had his humanity, and he made a mess of a few things. And his flesh was coming around to meet him. They were twins, remember? Jacob and Esau. There was the spirit man and the flesh man. And here he was with his own weakness now coming around to stare him in the face. He was coming around in our Christian spiritual types. Now the weakness, that ugly thing, that, that something that, that Esau was redheaded, I guess, but that ugly thing was coming to stare him in the face and say that he was come with 400 men to kill him. His humanity had come. But he had a desire for a birthright at the start. Where did it begin? He loved the birthright while Esau, Esau despised the birthright. He loved it so much he was willing to do anything to get the birthright. And he lied and cheated and did all these things, but he got the birthright. But now he was still dealing with his own weakness, his own failings, his own place where he was in a situation that was still a mess. It was still not what it could be and what it ought to be. It was, you could say, maybe overcoming in a promised land. I don't know how you'd exactly place it, but he needed something more. He needed something more. And he had a great desire for a birthright, but he had a great desire for the blessing. 
He had his great desire to see himself free of the thing that had torn him down year after year. He had a great desire to be fully free and not have Esau hanging over his head again. Another week in and another week out of that thought, one day when I go back, I'm going to have to face Esau. And he's beaten me before. He beat me up when we were kids. He beat me up when we were teenagers. I finally got away from him, but now he wants to kill me. And I didn't have, I, I don't know that I have what it takes. He sends off half of the company across the river and however it all was and kind of cowardly sends off one group. And, but he's back and he's alone and it's at night and he begins and he meets an angel and he finally begins to wrestle it out. What was it? Love's desire was now setting faith in action to say, and I'll, I'll say, that, 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 that sin that we can't overcome. We begin to grab an angel. We gr- begin to grab, you could say, hold of God and God's promises and begin to say, this is mine. I, I, I love you, Lord, and I need more of you, and I hate my humanity. I hate the way I am, but this is mine, and we begin to wrestle it out and fight and push. and Oh, that's what, when, when, sometimes we don't stay long enough at an altar to know that we know that we know that we've got it. Sometimes we don't push and have enough desperation. We have a lukewarmness or a kind of halfway something. But oh, if we were to stay like Jacob did, let that desire come all the way out, not just the anointing fall on our flesh, but let it come all the way out and birth us and, 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 or, or set us more free or bring us to that promise where we know that we know what I've set out in faith, I will receive. Jacob wrestled. He desired a birthright. He desired, he, he desired a blessing. He had the right desire. I need you to bless me. The, the angel cried out, oh, the, the, the dawn is breaking. Let me go. And he says, I won't let you go until you bless me. If I, if I stay the way I am, my weakness, my Esau will kill me. But Jacob the message desperations. Jacob stayed there until something happened that made him walk different. Oh, we want that. Made him a different person because he stayed until that happened. He was able, the Bible said he held until he prevailed. Oh, amazing quote in the message. How can a man prevail over God, but you can do it? Oh my, you can do it. A man can prevail over God. One time there was a prophet, a man named Hezekiah, who had been told by the prophet, sorry, thus saith the Lord, you're going to die. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall, and in desperation he wept out, Lord, consider me, I've walked before you with a perfect heart. I need 15 more years. And God had told him that something was going to happen, he was going to die. In desperation, Brother Branham says, he changed the program of God. Desperation. Oh, what's our need? What's our desire tonight? What's that something we can put out as, as love's incentive put, or faith's incentive, put it out on the battlefront? Oh, why does Satan fight us so hard day after day? Because you just might be the bride. He's not sure. We're sure. You are the bride. He has to try to figure out who's who and, and what's happening. You just might be the bride to him. And he fights and he powers through and he he hits us this way and that way but that means that there's something special inside oh don't let us get that get 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 down by that when we have this happen or that happen or it seems like uh, what situation came up now god is in control i love what brother ed said just to me after a service the thing about perfect faith and perfect love is it puts satan as a bystander and it all about us and god or all about god really 
all of these situations that come against us, if we can enter that place, they don't matter quite as much because we know God is in control. He works all things together for good. And it says all things. God is in control no matter what. Oh, Christian soldier, pick up your weapon. Let's fight the battle. Possess the gate of your enemy. Storm his gates. You can be free. If there ever was a time, looking at the unseen, that the church needs to step across that line which separates you between faith and unbelief by sight, looking at the unseen by faith, it's now. I've thought about this, and then I found a quote eventually, but I'd thought about it. There's different angels and there's different demons. There was, there, was the, there was Gabriel. There was different ones. There was even a story where Daniel would pray and a certain angel was dispatched but was held up for so many days until Michael, the archangel, came and, and helped him get through. And so there's different ranks and different levels that angels would hold. And there would be different levels and powers that even demons would hold. And I, I thought, what would be the, the worst devil then? Like we could maybe call him Beelzebub or Satan or something like that. I, I don't know. We, you can correct me if I'm wrong. But what would be his power? There's cancer. There's, there's sickness. There's all these things. And then there, I found a quote for it that was shared with me or something. There's a quote for it. Even Brother Brandon would say, the chiefest devil is unbelief. It's very simple, but he's the worst. We can think of witchcraft or this or that. The worst and most powerful is the very essence of sin, which is unbelief. It is by unbelief that everything else opens up. Every other channel, every other, but it's by doubt. Because there's only faith or unbelief. The chiefest devil is unbelief. Here's a quote from Divine Love and Sovereign Grace. And he says, now, in the name of Jesus Christ, I ask that the devil of unbelief be cast from this place and from the people. So it's a devil. It might be the devil, but it's one that we can cast out. And it's one that Brother Brandon would come, even from the platform, even after praying for the people, right at the end of a message, and he would say, not only do I cast you out in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray from the place, but also from the people, that we could loose the bounds of the enemy, not just from this place or even just from my own mind, but I want to cast him out from every single one of the people so that they can be pulled back from the place of unbelief, that faith can rise and all these other devils of cancer and sin and all these other things would begin to pull back. Because if unbelief lifts, then your faith can come for anything else. Oh, God, help us. If unbelief was If unbelief is here, may we cast him out tonight. May we say in the name of Jesus Christ, be removed from the building. If fear, if if unbelief was gone, and if fear was gone, and may it begin to lift now, anything is possible. Everything is possible. Brother Brandon would say in that message about divine love, when that maniac came from him, he said a a, a perfect love overcame him, like with the hornets, like with the bull. That perfect love came, and he says, oh, I wish it would come and wish it would stay. He says, but if it would come in this building for all of you now, he says, there wouldn't be another person in another five minutes that would be feeble. So if unbelief begins to lift and, 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 and perfect love casts out all fear, There's nothing that can stand in the way of the power of God. 
It's all powerful. We would experience that. There wouldn't be a feeble person in the next five minutes. Jesus Christ, we'll just go down now and begin to hone in on the thought that I've had. Christ was what we would call the right kind of a mediator. So that means he could stand in between and and mediate for you. If you have a, a problem, maybe two people really don't like each other, that third party comes and stands in between and helps them work it out. In this case, God loves you, but he has to stand between you and a shed blood and you on earth. And God loves us, but Jesus Christ is our mediator. What he came was he became flesh. He changed his strain. He stepped into flesh. He died for us as the perfect sacrifice so that he could provide access to God the Father, which is him, but in another office. He was the right kind of a mediator. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest to things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. He's able to secure them that are tempted. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched by the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. So he was someone that could come and be the right kind of a mediator because he knew what we go through. He knew what temptation was about. He knew what trials was about. He knew what sickness was about. He he would step on a rock and, and have a groan with a headache. He knew all of the things that we go through as men and as women, as children. Now, a, a mediator, 1 Timothy 2.5 would say this, and I'm just building a point. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So our best efforts to help our fellow man are vain, Because there's one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus. Our best efforts to try to help someone would be all in vain unless it's through Christ Jesus. And you're in Christ, and you're a part of his arm and his hand and his intercessory work. In our own humanity, our best efforts to help one another, to walk this Christian walk, to save a soul, in our own humanity, are vain, because there's one mediator. But in Christ, is there a place for us? I'll ask it as a question. Another word for mediator would be intercessor. That's a beautiful word. Christ became our intercessor. He intercedes for our needs. He intercedes before the Father for our sins. He comes and, and, and he intercedes for us as the high priest. That beautiful picture of, of Jesus dipping in a, a pen in his side and writing pardoned. He intercedes to, for us. Christ stands in the gap for us. Brother Brandon would say, and I hope this is still okay. 
He would say, now, I'm trying to get you in the faith now. You know something has happened to you as a Christian. You used to ride down here in the muck, and I want to build a point for a higher level of faith. You used to ride down in the muck with all the muck and sin and drinking and gambling. As soon as you believe that Christ forgave your sins, you raised up above that stuff. Now you're riding up here above all of it because you believe that you're a Christian. When you, then, you, then when you accepted Christ and the Holy Spirit came to you, you have faith in the Holy Spirit that gives you power to ride above all that kind of a life of sin. Now the only thing you have to do is to ride higher into healing. Just have more faith. Just keep pushing it. And see, there you are. Now you're sick and you're not a Christian. Become a Christian right now so that healing power will come in you and you can become a Christian by becoming a Christian. That will give you the faith to ride above sin. It'll give you faith. Everything you have need of in this journey is in you right now. The only thing you have to do is have faith in God that pushes that good things out of you, which is in you by the Holy Spirit. Do you understand clearly now? Then he says, but now, dropping down, but now let me take another scripture, if it's all right, just a moment. He said, and they say, Brother Neville says, go right ahead, Brother Branham. Brother, amen. Now, just remember now, in the Gospels, we read over in the 16th chapter, I believe, of Acts, where that Paul and Silas were in prison one night, and they were beaten because they'd cast the devil spirit out of a fortune-telling girl. Her masters had gotten very angry about it. They beat him, put, her, put him in the inner prison. They did that. Paul and Silas was praying, praying. God sent an earthquake and shook the jail down. Now, he's talking about a higher level, even, or something further. That Philippian jail, jailer, being a centurion, which is to lose his prisoners, was to be his own life. He'd have to pay for the prisoners. He pulled his own sword and was going to commit suicide when Paul ran forth and said, do yourself no harm, we're all here. And the centurion say, had some impression that they had about Paul and them. They might have sung hymns, they might have testified or done something. Whatever it was, they know they were holy men. They know that there was something different about these men because quickly he said, what must I do, what must I do to be saved? And Paul gives them, gives them something further than just a faith for what must I do to be saved. He asked for himself. He got more than he asked for. Because Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou and thy house shall be saved. So it was a different order of faith than faith for riding above sin or faith for, for, for my own situation or my own healing. It was a faith that you could hold for someone else. A faith that you could hold to say, thy and thy house shall be saved. Now, well now, if I'm believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, that don't mean that his salvation would save the house. But if he's got enough faith in God for his own salvation, he can have the same faith for his house. And his house will have to come in. The same thing. Same as Job did. We know that Job would come and say, peradventure they sin, and he would make a sacrifice for them day after day, holding faith, knowing he wasn't just sacrificing for him. He was sacrificing in faith for his family. He went through the great trial, but we know they were there. Because thy and thy house shall be saved. So my question is this. We need to have faith for ourselves. We need to fall in love with Jesus. That love's desire will bring us to the promises of God. But eternal life is living for others. Eternal life is beyond just our own needs. 
Eternal life is something greater. And there's perfect love and eternal life, I think, are the same thing. They, they, they would equal each other. It lives for others beyond our own need. A greater level, a greater something. What would love's desire do to help our fallen brother or sister? What would love's desire do for our sick brother or sister? I think we heard a testimony this, just at the beginning of this service, what love's desire does for a little girl that they call a miracle. Whose faith was it? Was it her faith? I don't know if she would know enough to know if it was her faith. It was the faith of the saints taking the promises of God. They shall lay hands on the sick, and by the, the person that lays their hands they shall recover. Not just the person's faith, as long as everything's clear, you lay your hands on, and by your faith, God can move on their behalf. You say, are you sure? Well, this is the thing I've been thinking about. And I, but John, there's no mediator between God and man but Jesus Christ. Can we be intercessors? Can we be that? 1 Timothy 2.1, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. So the intercessory work wasn't just reserved for Christ. But now there's a place where Christ has you as his hands and his feet. And there's a place for us to enter into that intercessory burden, that mediatorial work where, where we come and we are the blood by the Spirit. And we begin to step out in faith by love's desire for our brother or sister's need. Praying always, the forgotten armor, Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for myself, for all saints. For all saints. Now if it's okay, we'll, we'll begin to wind down-ish with this thought. But I, I was wondering, how, where do I find a, a, a principle that proves that we could pray for someone else. I was, wrapping my, I was thinking about it, wrapping my mind around I was going to say, how, how is it that in the Old Testament they have all these types and shadows and sacrifices and laws? We have to have a foundation for our faith to rest in. If we can have faith for someone else, how do I know that by an Old Testament type? I see the reality of it in Jairus. Jer Jarius. Praying for his dead daughter who could not have faith for herself. And God touched her by his faith. I see it in Rahab where she would come and have a token for those that were in the household of faith. And, and those that were in with her were safe. And it wasn't just for her. It was for those that came in with her. I, 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 I see it for a Shunammite woman with a dead son who came and said, by love's desire, it constrained her. She got desperate and she said, my son is dead, but I need to know why. And love's desire brought God on the battlefront. God faith on the battlefront. She got something that she prayed for someone else, not just her own self. I see Ezekiel in a valley of dry bones. Speak the word to a valley of dry bones. If faith comes by hearing, those skeletons didn't even have ears to hear. But the spoken word of God, that purpose that was there for those bones, was greater than their anything. It was greater than their deadness. It was greater than the deadness of Jerry's daughter, and it's greater than the deadness of your son or daughter spiritually. There's something that's more real 
How do you write? It's greater. But what's the principle? Where can I find a scriptural foundation? Job did it. If we can turn to Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25. Start with verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses in Mount Sinai, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When you come into the land which I give you, then, you shall, keep the, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Six years shalt thou sow thy field, and six years shalt thou prune thy vineyard and gather in the fruit thereof. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field nor prune thy vineyard. We'll drop down to verse 8. And thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years unto thee, seven times seven. And the space of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be unto thee forty and nine years. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. Hallelujah. In the day of atonement shall you make the trumpet sound throughout all your land. And ye shall hallow the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty, freedom, throughout all the land unto the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you. And ye shall return every man unto his possession. And ye shall return every man unto his family. Verse 13. In the year of this jubilee, ye shall return every man unto his possession. Drop down to verse 39. And what would happen is, as life would go on, things would happen. People would fall into debt. There would be debts that they could not repay. And there was a time where if you had a debt that you ultimately could not pay, you would sell yourself as a servant to someone else to repay your debt. And that debt would last all the way until the year of Jubilee. The good news was if you sold yourself at year 49, you were good to go in a year. The bad news is if it was year one. It's a long time to wait to be free. But in that process of time, if you came up with the funds, you you could go free if you managed to get a side job and however you'd all do that while you're still a slave. If you got rich enough, you could purchase your freedom. If you, I'll say, appropriated the faith to be free, you could be free. The other good news is right now we're in the year of Jubilee, preaching of the gospel. But there was another part, verse 39. And if thy brother that dwelleth by thee be waxen poor and be sold unto thee, thou shalt not compel him to serve as a bondservant. It lays out a principle. If your brother is the slave, don't treat him like a slave. If it was a stranger or sojourner, he was your slave. That's, you could pass him on as an inheritance. But if it was your brother, you don't treat him that way. But as an, don't not, thou shalt not compel him to serve as a bondservant, but as a hired servant and as a sojourner. He shall be with thee and shall serve thee unto the year of Jubilee. And then if he depart from thee, both he and his children with him shall return unto his own family. Unto the possession of his father shall he return. For they are my servants, which I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as bondmen or slaves. Thou shalt not rule over him with rigor, but thou shalt fear thy God. Both thy bondmen and thy bondmaids, which thou shalt have, shall be of the heathen that are round about thee. Of them shall you buy slaves. 
Moreover, of the children of the strangers that do sojourn among you, of them shall you buy, of your families that are with you, which they begat in your land. We'll drop down to, to, to verse 48. And after he that is sold, maybe he may be redeemed. Oh, you know what? Sorry. We'll keep going. Verse 36. And ye shall take them as an inheritance for your children after you, the, the slaves, the sojourners. You could use them as an inheritance. You could pass along your, the slaves and to the next, to the next, their children. To inherit them for a possession, they shall be your bondmen forever. But over your brethren, the children of Israel, you shall not rule over one another with rigor. And if a sojourner or stranger wax, wax rich by thee and thy brother, so a, a stranger, the enemy, someone else, waxes, waxes rich and your brother falls poor, and sell himself unto the strainer, stranger or sojourner by thee. I'll just say, goes into the world, has an issue, sells out. He, he loses that faith. He needs to be free. And he begins to go off into another place of slavery or bondmanship or something. If, thy, if a sojourner wax rich and thy brother that dwelleth by thee wax poor and sell himself unto the stranger or sojourner or to the stock of the stranger's family, after that he is sold, he may be redeemed again. One of his brethren may redeem him. Because when you're a slave, it's really hard to appropriate the funds to redeem yourself. When you're bound, sometimes when you're covered in sin and shame and all these things, sometimes it's so hard to get it of yourself. But you might have a brother that's rich in faith or a sister that's rich in faith. One of his brethren may redeem him, either his uncle. Or his uncle's son? That's as far away as a cousin now. It's not just in your, that's as far away as a cousin. Or his uncle's son may redeem him, or any that is nigh of kin unto him, of his family may redeem him. Or if he is able, he may redeem himself. And it would begin to lay out the, 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 the price and the different things. What is that saying? We have something laid in the Bible, in the word for us. That not only, if we have the faith, we can be free. But God can anoint your faith to reach beyond to your captive brother or sister. And for all intensive purposes, be their redeemer. Be the one that stands in the gap for them. Moses stood in the gap for his people by love's desire. And he typed Christ in doing it. But now Christ has come. He stood in the gap. And we have a part to play too. Yes. To enter into Christ's intercession. To say, I can stand for my brother in faith. Yes. Oh, it's beautiful. That, that word redeemer. Now it goes two different directions. That word redeemer was goel. And I was just looking up on the way. And it was quite something to me because that word goel that we know, someone that had to be willing and able and ready to pay, if you listen to the message, kinsman redeemer, that word goel was a redeemer. You find it in Ruth. You find it in different places. But in this place, that person that would redeem them or buy them back, they were a redeemer in Leviticus 25. But they were also the same person as the avenger that would, they had two jobs as a goel. They had either to redeem their lost brother or sister, or if their brother or sister were killed wrongly, they could go avenge. And they would chase them to a city of refuge. And whoever got there first was how it ended. The Goel had two jobs. So it either could have been a redeemer or an avenger. 
I'll say two things. May we redeem our brother and never try to kill him for what he's done, for the wrong that he's done. That's our brother. Let's not chase him down to a city of refuge. But I'll also say this. If we can do both parts at one for our fallen brother and sister, redeem them and do everything we can to get that devil as avenged as possible, to help him through, to bring him to freedom, to avenge the enemy, to send him out, for he's tried to, 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 to wrongfully kill our brother and sister. For the, the, the hurt and the, the heartache and all the things that have been put on our brothers and our sisters. We you say, it's just re- reserved for me and my house. I, I would say that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. So as far as God anoints your faith to go, you can go and pray for that friend of yours or that someone that's way far out. It's not just for, it's not just, but you can, God can use your faith beyond. All things are possible to them that believe. We're all a part of the family of God. What did Boaz do for Ruth? I will do all that you ask for me. And he went and stood and he went and stood in front of the enemy's gate and, or in the gate of the elders and, and he called the adversary. And the adversary didn't have what it cost, but he did have what it cost to redeem. The adversary didn't have enough and he sure doesn't have enough tonight. But our redeemer, the one that we can come into, into Christ, and we can reach out and he can use our hands and our feet He's got enough. For any situation, for any loved one that you have, he has enough and he wants to use you. How do we do that? How do we redeem someone? In love, in prayer, in faith, maybe in a phone call. Can be very practical. But it comes from love's desire to see them. I want to see them in in the house of the Lord. I want to see them saved. I want to see them on the other side. I want to see them in a place, eternal life, living for others. And now it sets it out on the battlefront. I see what the enemies tried to do, cover them over and chase them down and do all of these things. I'm storming the gates of heaven. I'm coming forward to say, I want what God's given me. I want that something. If God anoints your faith, Take it with all your heart. There's nothing that can stand before perfect faith. It's a master of all circumstances. It's a master of anything. What did that Aunt Jemima lady do? She loved her son so much. Plane was grounded. A prophet was walking and didn't know where he was going. I'm so glad I can say I'm one of them. And he walks up and she says, good, good morning, parson. And how did you know I was a parson? They come inside, they begin to pray. And redemption was found. For a boy that was dying that couldn't save himself. For a boy that couldn't do anything for himself at that point. He was too far gone. But he wasn't too far gone. There is nothing that can stand between. When God goes out and chases down a soul. When God goes down and reaches to a sickness that seems inoperable. When God goes down, I think of Sister Ruth Hoyer. If a sickness seems inoperable, that does not matter a stitch to God. We can come and bind together in faith and know that all things are possible to them that believe. Love pushes faith out on the battlefront. There is nothing that stands between us and the promises of God. 
As a bride, we stand in the gap for a dying world. Like Abraham, what if there's five righteous? What if there's 10 righteous? What if there's a few? We come and we stand as a place in between the two. You could say my, my brother's fallen in a sorry state or my husband or my wife has fallen or my cousin or my friend or my friend has a sickness or take your faith and pay the price for it. Take your faith. If God gives you the faith for it, it can't just be a mental thing. But when substance drops, there is nothing that stands between it. Take it out on the battlefront. This is my mountain. This is my, this is my mountain. Reach out in faith. Let love's desire move faith out on the battlefront tonight. I'll say this, like Cain and Abel, we truly are our brother's keeper. Oh, the love of God ought to reach to everyone. To the lost, to every part, we can reach and play a faith. As the musicians would come, Satan is trying to be an avenger. Satan's trying to make us pay for all these things, get us to do wrong or fall in and chase us down. And Satan has so many things that he's trying to do. He can never be our redeemer, though. He can't love. He can't do the things. But God in us, he has a job for us to do. Freedom. I love's desire. I could sing, He's in the house. Brother Brandon would say, in the breach between the seven church ages and seven seals, in the Bible, in the book of Ruth, you find it. Such a person was called a goel, a G-O-E-L. It was called the goel, or a person that could meet the requirements. The person must be able to do it, must be willing to do it, must be a kinsman next to the kinsman to do it. And God, the creator of spirit, became kinfolks to us when he became man in order that he could take our sin upon him and pay the price and redeem us back to God. We're not the redeemer for our brother and sister. Christ did that. It's done. But now we can enter into a place to say, oh God, reach out to them, to stand in the gap for them, to pray an intercessory prayer, to stand between, to intercede, to take on the burden and the weight of the burden and enter in like that, like that man that came into the prayer line. Brother Branham stood beside him, tried to see if his shoes would fit or his suit would fit. Enter into the need so deeply that it becomes our own need. That's what Christ did for us. He became flesh. He took on our own. And he was the right kind of a mediator. If we enter into that, God can change the world. He's doing it one day at a time through us. May God help us to live that. Little girl was lying there. Let's all stand. The people all were weeping. They just laughed at Jesus when he said she's only sleeping. And as he took her by the hand, she began to live again. Some began to praise the Lord. Some began to say, He's in the house. Death has to flee. Now there is light where darkness used to be. Now there is hope. 
Jesus touched that heart of mine and gave me life again. I am just, I am just a house of clay, but ever since that blessed day, 